Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is a special episode today because the WSL has just announced the 2022 Championship Tour and Challenger Series calendars, and we have the big man, WSL CEO Eric Logan, on the podcast to discuss the significance. For background, before we get to the discussion, though, on Wednesday, August 4th, the WSL announced the following. In 2022 and beyond, WSL will execute the redesigned three-tier competition system for men's and women's shortboarding, which includes the regional qualifying series in our seven regions, the global challenger series, and the elite championship tour. In 2022 and beyond, all championship tour and challenger series events will be combined men's and women's events. Next season's championship tour will be 10 events running from January to August before next September's world title deciding Rip Curl WSL finals. The first five CT events will be Pipeline, Sunset Beach, Super Tubos, Bells Beach, and Margaret River. Then we have our mid-season cut, sharpening the men's and women's fields by a third. And those who advance will not only advance to the back five events of the season, but will also have secured their qualification for the start of the 2023 CT season. The back five events will then be G-Land, Lower Trestles, Sakurama, Jeffreys Bay, and Chopu before the world title deciding Rip Curl WSL Finals next September. The location is to be decided. The 2022 Challenger Series, the second of the WSL's redesigned three-tier competition system, will run from May to November with men's and women's surfers from each of our seven regions competing at Snapper Rocks, Manly, Belito, Huntington Beach, Aracera, Landis, Piha, and Haleiwa. Surfers will be ranked off their best five of eight results in hopes of finishing as one of the top 10 men or top 10 women on the Challenger Series by season's end to advance to the Elite Championship Tour in 2023. So really exciting stuff in terms of anchoring the next several years of the sport and ensuring that the world's best surfing has a solid and stable platform moving forward. We talk about all this and more on today's special episode. Please enjoy the lineups conversation with the WSL's Eric Logan. The good old clap, take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? You can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once. It's got. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. It's not your boxing. The boss man, mm. WSL CEO Eric Logan, finally on the lineup. It's a it's it's a long time coming, Dave. I know Ryan's stressing over here already about. I know, this, but well, do, can I tell people what I have fun with the most with the uh, lineup pod? Of course, you can. Social media. All right, so so Ryan Fawcett runs the podcast, and and it's great because it's like Kano Igarashi is going to be on Steph Gilmore, and, and he always asks on Instagram questions, and mm. so I always reply like. Ask Kanoa why he's been on twice and Eric has never been on. <laughs> Ask Steph when Elo's coming on. So so I, I enjoy the feedback loop of asking questions. So, But here we are. So something has worked. Something has worked. We also like to keep our listeners thirsty. So that's the I other see. part of this. <laughs> big day today. Uh, big announcement. How, how are you feeling about it already? I feel great. Um, a bit of a sense of relief a little bit. Um, I don't think a lot of people know the depth and magnitude and the number of people that have been working behind the scenes to try to make the announcement we made today happen. Um, and literally 
literally hundreds and hundreds of hours uh, of, of time and coordination uh, around the planet, uh, dealing with our offices in Brazil, uh, our offices in Australia, our offices in Europe, and obviously here, and, and trying to really seize a moment out of COVID to reset, stabilize, and propel forward the next evolution of professional surfing. And, you know, we took a couple of steps, obviously, uh, as we're doing this year with the Rip Curl WSL finals, but now we see the full, um, you know, materialization of what we've been working on. Mm. Uh, you and I talk about this all the time. Yeah, we do. But, but <laughs> we, <laughs> we, just have, have to, we just have to be recording it right yeah, now. Yeah, that's fine. This will be fun. But, but before the acquisition eight years ago, the ASP didn't really have an intentional identity. You know, we, we crowned world champions and we were kind of a framing entity for the industry. And since the acquisition, I think it's fair to say that our fans have not been delivered a coherent identity, right? Mm. They've been given, you know, the CT and big wave tours and wave machines and ocean health advocacy programs and studios content, which isn't to say any of that has been wrong, but there has been a lot of work inside the building since you took over as CEO um, last 18 months or several thousand years, depending <laughs> on your perspective on time, but just on recalibrating the company yeah. and why it exists and what it does. So, so to that end, I wanted to ask from your seat as the CEO, how does today's announcement fit into your vision for the company? Well, one of the things we talk a lot about internally, and I, I say it publicly as well, is that we are a sports league with a media company wrapped around it. Mm -hmm. we're, we're not a bunch of different businesses. Like even though we have a studio and we have productions and things that are happening, all of the things that we do have to anchor back to the core value of the company. And the core value of the company is around professional surfing and our core engine that drives everything are our tours. And one of the things that um, you sort of have to think about um, at the beginning is a question, you know, and the question that I pose to people all the time, and it's an anchoring thought that I'm happy to share, which is, what is the most important thing we do at the World Surf League? What is the most important thing? And when you can identify what that one thing is, it unlocks the ability to see the organization very clearly. And that one thing is that we crown the undisputed world champion for men and women, period. Hard stop, it's never in question. So everything we do has to funnel and feed and bolster that up. So then if you, if estab if you establish that, then you can work backwards from that. How do you crown it? And that's where the idea for the finals starts to come up because we saw such an amazing heat in 2019 with Italo and Win Gabe. And we figured out that, okay, how do we reverse engineer to do that? And then all the different dominoes that came into this calendar flip and starting with pipe and everything else flows from a very simple premise that we crown world champions. Once you establish that in the tours and the symbiotic nature, then it's like, how do you feed the tours? What's the pathway to professional? All those questions become very, very obvious and the answers become obvious. So then once you get the core engine of our business right, which I think what we see today is really that. We really see that realization of like, wow, here's the CT, here's the challenger. I understand the regionals and they see the full embodiment of it. Now the media pieces of the, the puzzle can come in. The shows and the content can all anchor around the core tenets of what the business is. Mm. And you mentioned that heat in 2019 between uh, Italo and Gabriel. 
But the conversation around a one-day world title deciding events, sort of several years in in the making. Sure. And, and I, I've told this story on the pod before, but it's probably worth talking about now because we are uh, significantly changing how we determine our world champs. Yeah. And when this conversation was kicked around, um, I've been honest about this before, I was sort of the skeptic inside yeah. the building around the legitimacy component. And I remember, I said, oh, look, I don't know if it will feel the same and da-da-da. And we had this meeting in Fiji. We had all the world champs at the time attend. We had all the contenders at the time attend. And I was in the back, and I was uh, stunned at the amount of enthusiasm for the idea. And it was an interesting psychological study because you had all these people that have champion mindsets who are saying, I don't want to win with my opponent you know, in the water against a wild card. Mm -hmm. I don't want to win when I'm sitting at home. I don't want to win in the locker room. I want to win against the best surfers of the season, and I want to win in the water. Yep. And I, I, I mean, sold me on the spot because who am I? But at the end of the day, I said, oh, I'm really into this now. But yep. it is significant the way we're changing things. It's historic. It really is historic. And I also think, you know, if we just draw some parallels from what we just watched in the Olympics, um, I think it's a really good analog because, you know, most people who want to compete in the Olympics, they have to go through years of training, trials, qualify, and they get to effectively a one-day tournament. Mm. And, you know, the, uh, Carissa and Italo have a gold medal and the next one's not going to be awarded for three more years. Right. And, and so, you know, Steph Gilmore has a really challenging heat, you know, and she loses out. And I think what we saw as those heats progressed was a little bit of a glimpse to what I think we're going to see at Laura Trestles. Mm. Because, you know, I already see the pressure with the surfers right now, you know, and just talking with them about the final five, you know, and, and certainly at Surf Ranch, people were doing the calculus in their head. They're like, what do I need to do and where do I need to be? So I think what it does is it introduces several new dynamics that not only map to the finals, but map to the midseason cut for next year. Mm -hmm. And you see, you see what pressure does, you know, and you see how what we've set up is a competitive dynamic that we haven't seen. And I think it's going to be one of the most important days in, in pro surfing, you know, and when we watch this happen, I think it enhances the legitimacy of our world champions. Um, I've, ha I've had a number of conversations with some of our former world champions who would love nothing more to actually win it this way. Mm. And it, you, you hear these conversations and, and you get excited by it. And I just think it's going to be a, a transformative moment for our sport. Totally. And I think a, another parallel that's come up a lot in conversations too is the idea that, well, you know, a team or an individual can do so well throughout the season, they can have a perfect record. And then when everything's on the line, they could lose. Yep. And I say, well, I don't think that that person or that team is celebrated any less for what they achieved during the year. It's actually, you can have the best of both worlds in the sense of, Every event someone wins on tour is so special, specifically in surfing, because sure. the venues are so powerful. Winning at the end of the season or being the number one ranked surfer at the end of the regular season is still going to be an award. No question. And then we get to have a world title surf off on top of that. I, I think there's an opportunity here for everyone to get actually more than they had in the past. I, I totally agree. And and that is the the biggest counter argument is that, you know, you've wasted a whole year, you know, you know, I certainly believe me, the, the, our fans are not shy letting me know on my social media <laughs> uh, what they think. At Eric Logan. Yeah. <laughs> or other, other sites as well. But listen, I, 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 I like, I like that though, to be honest with you. I like, I like the, the, the discord and, and the, in the candor and the honesty from, mm. from the fans. 
I think what we see though is an enhancement of the world championship and actually an enhancement of the regular regular season as well, to your point. Um, at the end of the day, you know, I go back to this one analog and and it was when these uh, New England Patriots went undefeated in the regular season. And no football team had ever done this since the Miami Dolphins and win the Super Bowl. Mm. So the Miami Dolphins, you know, for those of you who follow the National Football League in the United States, are is considered the greatest team of all time. They went undefeated and they won the Super Bowl. Nobody has ever done that. And that was back in the 70s, I believe. And so here comes Tom Brady and the Patriots and they're rolling through everything and they get into the Super Bowl and they face the New York Giants and they lose. Mm. And so there's a huge letdown. They're not they're not the Super Bowl champions, but yet they have an undefeated regular season, which is celebrated and elevated, is one of the greatest, greatest teams of all time. So, you know, there's there's an analogy that goes one way and the other analogy goes the other way. So I think in our sport, what we're gonna see is, you know, someone like Kelly won the won the points championship eleven times mm. for sure. And I think for you to be the number one winner in terms of points every year at the World Surf League prospectively, even starting with this year, not only is something you'll be able to hold on to, but again, because I don't think everybody has got their mind around the format of the finals yet, Sure, the advantage the number one seed has is so profound. It is so profound because they get to sit all day. They get to not have to surf. They get to just have the whole field come to them. And then if you're the two seed and I'm the one seed, you have to beat me two out of three times and I'm rested and ready to go. So it's gonna be an exciting day. The other major component that was announced last year, but sort of amplified with today's announcement with the actual populating the venues and dates around it, is the mid-season cut line. Mm -hmm. um, so after CT stop number five next year, which is Margaret River, mm -hmm. we're gonna reduce the men's and women's fields by one third. So the top 22 men and the top 10 women will advance to the back half of the season. They'll be joined by two wild cards at each event for 24 and 12 person venues or uh, fields. Um, a lot of people are commenting uh, back to the 2010, 2011 times, which um, yep. you know, fortunately for me, I was still around. Yep. I don't think those are perfect parallels, although I understand why people. Well, I love your perspective on that. I mean, you. I mean, we've talked about this, but I just think for the edification sure. of everyone, in in your mind. What do you see as the material differences? Totally. So, so to wind the clock back, um, this is actually fun. We we had a rebel tour threat from <laughs> our. Uh, I don't know if he had eleven at the time, but uh, you know, <laughs> multiple world champion Kelly Slater um, and his ilk. And uh, the threat was actually pretty valid, right? Because the sport had stagnated for a long time, and and Kelly and his partners were like it. Like, what everyone does is so special. We want to amplify it. We yeah. want to make these changes, and it didn't pan out for a lot of reasons. Um, but what it did do was it motivated the ASP and the ASP board to enact changes. Um, two changes were number one, reducing the field, which used to be a uh, 48 man field down to 36. And the second one was creating a more dynamic rotation of talent, mm -hmm. which was intended to be a, a mid-year rotation. So people kind of conflate those two things because it happened over two years. In 2010, we reduced the field from 48 man to 36 man for the men's tour. And then in uh, 2011, we rolled in this mid-year uh, rotation. rotation. Yeah. yeah, and I would say, um, as someone who was at the ASP at the time, it was far too rushed and reactive to the threat of the Rebel Tour. Mm. Um, and we didn't. We kind of moved the goalposts on surfers way too late. What we should have done was inform them, given it a season, and then enacted these changes. So theoretically, and I've, I've heard a lot about Tanner Gadowskis throughout these conversations. <laughs> someone I admire a ton, yeah, of course, but. 
it was a situation where they said, well, he didn't even get to surf trestles. He didn't even get to surf his home break. And he competed all year on the QS and didn't get a whole season. Totally fair, but demonstrably, the reduction in field from 48 to 36 created a better product. Yeah, No one argues about that. Yep. And then the mid-year rotation was an exciting idea in the sense of we want to bring people on faster, but we had no stabilization in schedule. So that's why it was jettisoned after a year. Had we been able to stabilize the schedule with multi-year events, we probably would have kept it. Yeah, make a government. This is a little bit different, right? I think it's, I think it's very profoundly different. Yeah. Um, you know, from, I think, you know, at least my view, there's a couple of things at play. Um, one of the things that's at play is what fans, sponsors, and I even think the surfers, they, they want more head-to-head matchups, number mm-hmm. one. You know, you don't want to wait until the third round, four, you know, round of 16, to get like a superstar matchup. But you have to, to work through the elimination round, work through the seeding rounds. So when you have these large fields, it actually creates a couple of challenges. Um, the first challenge is the swell window. And I think, you know, as, as we know in the surf world, at least certainly as surfers, most swell windows are about three days. Mm. And some are a little shorter, sometimes a little longer. And that's assuming that you just don't have, you know, winds that just completely go to shit. You know, it's just, or you have very fickle places like Karamas with a tide, or mm. you need four days to run the full complement of our tours with our men and women. Well, what happens with that is it, it creates this huge waiting period and a lot of downtime for a lot of our surfers. So on one hand, you'll hear, well, I, I just wish we had less people on tour mm. because the product will get better. We can, we can really pick the eyes out of a swell. We could go to other places that could be less fickle and, and, or more fickle and actually run. So a smaller field does take the star power up and actually improves the quality of surfing because of where you can get into swell windows. So that's the first thing it does. Mm. The second thing I think what the midseason cut does this year is it actually makes the creation of the first four to five events, you know, CT two, three, and four, exponentially more exciting and watchable mm-hmm. because you have to, you're talking about requalification. We normally talk about requalification in the history of our sport embedded into two other narratives mm-hmm. historically: world title, pipe masters slash triple crown and mm. requalification. And so as a fan, if you were watching Pipeline in 19, the requalification story is completely lost and people are fighting for their careers, but we're also keeping an eye on this, this beautiful thing that happened with the draw where Gabe and Italo are on the other side. Also, in the middle of it, Kelly's gonna win you know, the triple crown. And so if you think about that from a fan's perspective, you're like, okay, what am I focusing on? It, the, the, there's too many things happening. And so the cleanliness of, you know, you would come out in the first event with the Billabong Pipe, Pipe Pro, and then you go to Sunset, and then you go to Mayo in Portugal, the Miro Portugal Pro, all of a sudden you turn in a couple of, a couple of bad heats mm. and you have a bad result, you're in risk of losing your spot on the championship tour in three stops. Mm-hmm the pressure we'll see from the surfers. We will see the narratives, the stories, the, all the attention will exponentially be higher vis-a-vis three years ago when we were talking about going to, to Bells and Margaret, mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. So I think the mid-year cut has three things about it that I like, and I think we all like it. Number one is it, it, it does advance the 24 and 12 in total, with the, even though it's 22 and 10. Number two, 
This is a really important one because if you make the cut, you're automatically requalified for the following year. So the, the CT surfers who make the cut know they have five more events plus the finals, then they have a break. The third is the surfers that don't make the mid-year cut. And this is where the harmonization of the tours and the stabilization comes in with our Challenger series. Historically, and you would know better than I, Dave, but historically we would have, you know, we'd have QS 10,000s, mm -hmm. they'd be 5,000s, there'd be 3,000s, and they would just happen somewhat happenstance all across the year. And even at times we'd have 10,000s running on top of CTs. Mm -hmm. How did the fans know? Hard to really understand what to watch. But what we've done with the mid-season mid cut now is created the Challenger series and actually embedded it into this fully integrated calendar. So when you look at the calendar that we announced today, you see, you see a, a string of world-class venues. At the cut line, you have this group of surfers, the men and women, that are regulated down to the Challenger Series that starts at Snapper Rocks in the Gold Coast, which is an amazing start. Then we move to Manly. You're now on that tour. Those eight stops allow a surfer who doesn't qualify to actually requalify within the same calendar year, which had been impossible in prior years. So if I'm a surfer and I fall off, I would have to wait a full year before I could requalify for the CT. That's a huge thing. Mm. That is not a great thing for if you're a surfer. It's like, I just lost my, my, my CT job. Now I have to go into the 10,000s and I have to wait a year to get back on the CT. What we've done now is you can actually requalify in the same calendar year. So then if I miss the cut, I can requalify for the Challenger Series. I can hit reset the following year, start again at the Billabong Pipe Pro and, and try again. This, this harmony, the, the mid-year cut sets all that up. Mm -hmm. It sets the table stakes for the, the full integration of everything. And that's something that didn't exist 10 years ago, no. right? So when people lost, myself included, <laughs> Tanner Godowskis, yeah. he, he did land on the QS, but it wasn't a tour, you know? And it wasn't this tier where it's like, this is an elevated tier of events. If you perform well and you are a CT level talent, you will be back on before the season's over, yep. you know? And I think that's another interesting thing that, that sort of come out in this redesign is we're moving from a two-tier system to a three-tier system. Yep. And, and it allows for what was previously the qualifying series was trying to do too many things, right? It was trying to support young developmental talent provincially. It was trying to elevate international talent to the championship tour. And I do actually back the design of breaking those apart and yep. saying, this is actually a really potent global semi-pro league, if you will, to advance to the championship tour. And it frees up the qualifying series to be regional, yeah. to support surfers wanting to develop close to home before they have to invest in, in traveling internationally. Yeah, and if you, if you take that a step further, um, like the old Bud Tour, mm -hmm. you know, and there's a lot of the stories that are even back in the same time that you're talking about, Dave, a lot of these QS tours that are around, not just here in the United States, but all around. Mm. What this redesign does from a regional perspective is it takes the it takes the seven regions, we have seven regions that we've established, they provisionally would qualify a set number per region for the Challenger series. So what that does is it allows a couple of things. Number one, it allows young surfers who don't have the money that can't really get to the 10,000s or possibly may not be able to get to the 5,000s because there's too much expense to travel around to do it. That actually sort of siphons and cuts off young potential surfers mm -hmm. because it actually weights more heavily 
to the surfers who can afford mm. to travel around and do a 10. I mean, think about it. If you get a couple of fourths at a 10,000 or one fourth and 10,000, somebody else is going to have to win or certainly make a lot of heats and a lot of 5,000s to get to make up for it. Mm -hmm. So because somebody has the money and the ability and the wherewithal to do it, it does create a little bit of a imbalance there. So the regional tours are, are, are a very exciting part of what is going to get turned on next year. Our, our regional GMs are working on these and lighting them up. You know, our hope is that we see many more stops in all the regions because it really is the on-ramp on this pathway to professionalism or professional surfing. And the unencumbering of what was the QS trying to do too many things is actually empowering the regions now. So that was a, it was almost like there was, you said there was trying to do too many things. There was so much conflation that was happening there. You couldn't really, and then, and then there was no content strategy organization around how to execute the Challenger series or the 10,000s. They just kind of all happened. Mm -hmm. And then it was just like at the end of the year, you just got on a spreadsheet and started cutting it. And it's like, well, I understand that, but if we organize it, it actually is gonna strengthen all three tiers now. Totally, totally. And, and that kind of gets back to that idea of, I really think in 2022 for the first time, surfing is gonna have proper operating rhythms. You know, whether you're a surfer or a partner or a media or a fan, or a staff member <laughs> will be able to say, cool, uh, CT starts end of January, CT finishes August, world title happens in September, Challenger Series starts in May, wraps up at Haleiwa in November, we'll know who qualifies. And, and I, as you pointed out, we are a media company wrapped around the sports league. Those operating rhythms help us program out content yeah. both on platform and off platform. We have a lot of stuff happening there too. Yeah. On the off-platform stuff? Well, everything. Yeah, we do. And we, we'll, we can dive into some of that, but I think to, to pull on the, the organizational sort of rhythms of the company, again, the, it's never happened before. Mm. And so, you know, the, the press, you know, again, we have so many people that love the sport. You know, I didn't say WSL, but I said the sport. <laughs> um, and it's somewhat... It was, it's been somewhat chaotic to try to understand what we're focusing on as a professional league, you know, historically, because we didn't have consistent schedules. Stuff was all over the place. What, what today represents is that real clarity of vision and purpose for professional surfing. So from that, we, we then say, wonderful. The editorial team knows that as we move into the last two stops, you know, with, with Bara and obviously Chopu, we know that the number one topic anybody's talking about right now is the fight for the final five. Mm -hmm. And so all the narratives about who's on the outside looking in, and then it's going to be about who locks what position, you know, in terms of rankings, all of that would not be happening if it wasn't for the WSL finals, but it anchors and visions what we do for content in terms of like accelerating and informing and educating and driving interest into the sport. That now happens across the entire year. There's not, a, there's not a date on this calendar, if you look at it, where a CT and a challenger event step on one another. Mm -hmm. So we'll be able to take the full heft and might of the league and say, we're at CT six mm -hmm. or we're at challenger three. Yep. And, and, and that way the fans have an expectation and you look at it, it's gonna be, you know, it's gonna be this, you know, 19, including the Rip Curl WSL finals, 19 world-class surfing events over the course of a calendar year. It's amazing. You mentioned the Rip Curl WSL finals. Notably absent from today's announcement mm. was the venue for the 2022 uh, 
Rip Curl WSL finals. I think we can spoil it on this podcast. Not the venue, <laughs> not the venue. But we, we we are planning on revealing the venue in January in Hawaii yeah. at the WSL Awards. Yeah, so so yeah. fans can expect to learn of the venue uh, in a few months' time. Yeah, I I, I haven't looked today. What uh, has that has that caught any uh, brush fire yet? I don't know. I just keep looking up different ways to spell macaronis <laughs> and and write memos inside the company. Is that why I've got the craft craft cheese? It's, on? It's, it's, okay. uh, subliminal, no. all sorts of methods. I know. I mean, I think I met you, God, two or three years ago when I was at Own. You came over and saw me uh, in 2018, and I think so. I thought your middle name was macaronis. Yeah, yeah. yeah Dave yeah. macaroni, and I was like, I don't understand this macaronis thing. That, that's your constant, like, um, you know, rejoinder to the ownership group when I'm annoying <laughs> them. They're like, you're like, look, if we just give him an event macaronis, he says he'll leave. So. Yeah. Like yeah. We, yeah, so we'll get you an event. Yeah, probably, promise. Yeah, just, yeah. But you're not leaving anytime soon, so don't hold your breath. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you wanted to talk about uh, the other content stuff, of course. Yeah. yeah, because we've got a lot going on. We do. We do. Uh, I, I think first up is um, Ultimate Surfer, and um, this is going to be an exciting moment for surfing. Now, sadly, the the show is only going to be able to be seen for now in the United States because it's on ABC. I think in Canada as well. Um, and it premieres in late August, two night premiere uh, on a Monday, Tuesday. What what's so great about this show is it we we were able to find a way to merge many ideas into sort of one basket. So there's a, a producer that a lot of people probably wouldn't know who's a friend of mine that I've known for many years from the Oprah days, named Craig Poligian, and also I've known Dana White <clears throat> for some time. And, and Craig, who, who is he? Dana White. Dana White, sorry, you shouldn't step over that one. Uh, yeah, he's the, he is the president of the UFC. So Dana has had you know this job of taking a sports league, if you will, that was trying to get notoriety and recognition and really had uh, this amazing idea with Craig over 20 seasons ago of Ultimate Fighter. And basically, he would create a way to have people sort of compete to get into the octagon with him. So the thesis of what we're doing with Ultimate Surfer started with how interesting would it be to see how people could compete and what they'd be willing to compete and how they could compete to try to get a shot at the championship tour. And so the ideas that they had prior to me becoming CEO were like, and you can, we, we can, we'll, cho- we'll joke about this, Dana may not be appreciate this, but <laughs> you know, they, I saw a deck that was like three years uh, prior in the making that was like, we were going to rent a house at Pipeline. They were going to do it in July and they were going to do like a surf competition there. And I said, this is really great. So a couple thoughts. Number one, not sure it's going to be breaking. Okay. And number two, I can't wait to see that paddle out you know, and just how that's going to go. And, and, and so I said, but I have an idea. So there was a foggy day, you know, this sounds like a opening of an Orson Welles movie, but it's a foggy day up in Lamar, California. So we flew up to the surf ranch and Craig and Dana had never seen it. And it was a cold day and it happened to be, Kelly happened to be there and he was surfing with Lewis Hamilton. So it was just like, you know, that's what, which, As is, you do, yeah. which is what he does. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I had Craig and Dana down at the at the end and had them in the what I refer to as the Kelly reveal spot that we all saw um, in December of sixteen, I think it was or fifteen, uh, the day after. Yes, yeah, fifteen. Yes, yeah. fifteen. Yes, I, I will always know because of Adriana D'Souza's <laughs> glorious world title. Yeah, was, that was the day before, and then yeah, it dropped yeah. coincidentally. Yeah. Maybe not a whole day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole another. That's another podcast. That's another podcast. Um, but they see it, and it's like we can execute the show. So. We, we began pitching the show and ABC fell in love with it because we felt at the time that we could showcase surfing 
and competitive surfing at an elite level to an audience that had never seen it. And, and part of what the, the media company part around our sports league, I think at altitude for our fans to know, is the job of what we're trying to do there is to create a larger platform for all of our surfers. Mm. Because it works this way, that the larger and more consumption that happens from fans around surfing and the awareness that these off-platforms do creates a larger platform for our surfers. So our surfers generate income based upon themselves. Mm-hmm. Are they a bigger star? How big they get? So I focus on how to tr- create a larger platform for them and our fans and our employees. So what Ultimate Surfer is going to do, it's going to amplify so many parts. It's going to highlight the skill of the cast we have. It's going to showcase, by the way, the, this world-class wave technology that we have that most people have never seen. It's going to amplify the stakes and what it means to be on the championship tour. And probably most importantly, it's going to educate all of America on what surfing is. People in Nebraska may have no idea, and they're going to see the sport and become interested in it. In a very similar way like Drive to Survive did for F1. Mm. You know, so many people, like I never even knew this world existed. And all of a sudden, F1 is having record ratings, which is the second show I'm sure you want to talk yeah, about. Yeah, well, that's, we'll I mean, man, we'll go, we'll go there in a you, second. you've done a segue once or twice. Yeah, I've, that, that's the radio. But I think just back to Ultimate Surfer, um, it's, it's, it's a fantastic show. Um, there's, there's beach challenges. We've got an amazing cast. They look amazing. Uh, and the surfing is really good. It's really good. And, and I think when we get through the season, we see, you know, when we get down to the brass tacks and we see who wins, it's, uh, it's going to be a pretty exciting finale. And you mentioned the stakes too. And, 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 and that was the funny thing when, when I had the good fortune of coming up there for 10 days last year when we were filming and everyone said, oh, we're about midway through shooting. There's all this alcohol. No one's really drinking. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I feel like the stakes, which are, are wild cards in the championship tour events, yeah. and, and and the idea of becoming the ultimate surfer for the first season, they're too high. No one's giving anyone else an edge. It, it, was, it, was, it was so funny you say that because there's a little insight. We, we could do it. There's so many stories from the set, by the way, that, that could, should be a segment. Um, I remember I was there obviously early and everyone was so quiet and they were so intense and it was like, oh my God, we're not going to actually have any like reality, you know, <laughs> yes, content sir, from these yeah. people. Everybody, every, you know, and it's like, you know, Koa is over there working out, you know, and Zeke, you know, is he's, you know, he's carrying ba- baskets of water while he's swimming up. I mean, he's just doing all these crazy stuff. So Jesse Palmer, who's the host, who's a really great host, he he asks a question, you know, to, and I don't think it makes the cut, but he asks a question in one of the sessions at the house, like, who's here? you know, to win $100,000 because that's the cash prize. Sure. And then it was sort of like, yeah, and who's here to, and a couple of hands went up I'm like, yeah, I'll kind of do it. You know, sort of like, sure. who's here to, and I mean, everybody's hand, he didn't finish the sentence. And it, it, was, it dawned on me, it was just like, they, the, to your point, they are here to compete for these wild cards. And what happens in the show is you see that competitive tension really start erupting as the eliminations start happening it really gets heated. And that's when the tension breaks and that's when it is. So, but we did, I will, spoiler alert, we actually did get some alcohol in later <laughs> in the season. So. Eventually. Eventually, but, it's a great show. I can't wait, can't wait for everybody to see it. You mentioned uh, Netflix's uh, Drive to Survive series, um, which made um, F1 fans out of uh, more people than I could count, myself included. Yep. Um, yep. Everyone in my house is very concerned about Max Verstappen's <laughs> But you uh, had the relationship with the production team, uh, box to box, yeah. and, and 
that's the other really exciting thing we have coming off platform. It's really exciting. So um, Paul Martin reached out to me and and was was effusive about an idea of surfing. Um, so taking a step back for a second, uh, Drive to Survive is one of the biggest shows in the, what we would call the unscripted space on Netflix. And effectively, the idea and the thesis, if anybody hasn't seen it, is you have this embedded camera crew that just follows all the drivers around F1. And you learn about team owners and drivers and the stakes and how it works and all these interesting things that you would sit back as a fan and go, I, I really don't want to watch a bunch of Formula One drivers drive around these. One, I don't know what's going on. What the television show did was contextualize this world around F1, which is this amazing, rich, character-laden world. So it's a huge hit four years ago for Box to Box and Netflix. Paul Martin, the CEO, calls, and, and Paul and I had a relationship. And he goes, he might, you know, he's a, he's a, a great English guy. He's been approached by rugby, cricket, National Football League, golf, you name it. There's not a sports league that is like, we want that show. Mm -hmm. this, the kismet moment, or as my former boss would say, the aha moment, was when he and I were talking and he goes, we, we meaning box to box, think that the world of surfing actually is more interesting and bigger than the world of Formula One. Mm -hmm. And we put the deal together literally in 20 minutes. I mean, literally on the phone, we put the deal together in 20 minutes. And we brought him to the 2019 US Open at Huntington. Mm -hmm. And he started seeing the world for the first time. We took him to a couple more events before we went into our shutdown with COVID. And he fell in love with it. And a lot of our surfers at that time were gracious with their time. Flash forward, we wind up selling the show to the single biggest company on the planet, Apple. And Apple um, has this amazing uh, product called Apple TV Plus, uh, like Ted Lasso, you've probably seen it. I mean, it just had 20 Nami's, 20 Emmy nominations and the morning show with Jennifer Aniston, C with Jason Momoa. And um, interestingly enough, you know, the guys who run that are guys that I worked with for many, many years uh, over at, at, at Harpo, they run the studio over there. So I just basically just ring them up and go, hey, I got a pitch before we actually go talk to anybody else. I want you to see it. And so they jumped on it and they have fallen head over heels into the world, the entire company of Apple. So first of all, before we actually see a frame of television, let's just stop that. That's actually a really good thing to have the, the single biggest company on the planet being like, this is really cool. So we've, been, we've had cameras embedded, uh, as, as a lot of people know, uh, or a lot of people don't know, a lot of people, our staff know, um, since the start of the tour pipeline. Yeah, so, where, where they captured about 12 seasons worth of content just in a single to, event. Yeah. yeah, we should just recap for the fun. Oh, gosh. Do we have to? Yeah, we could just... I mean, PTSD? Yeah, well, I mean, they were like... So we'll, we'll tell from the box-to-box -box point of view. Sure, right? that's so, very so, helpful. So, so they, they show up, and it's like, just to reset, this is 2000, that was this year, which, again, COVID time feels like, you know, forever in a year. And it was in January... Or no, it's December, December, December 2020, yeah. 2020 yeah, December yeah. 2020 for the 21 season. Yeah. And we were starting with the women with Honolulu Bay and, and we're starting with the men at Pipeline. And, and again, remember, we're still in the middle of the COVID surge. So everybody's freaked out, but yet we had just canceled the year, obviously before in, in April. And, and so the cameras are there. Our surfers are like, we don't know who these box-to-box -box people are, but they've been great. And so they're embedded and they're following them around. And 
we, we start obviously at Honolulu and it's great. And Jesse and I are driving to the bay and we're watching the sun come up and the cameras are there. And it's like, oh, it's going to be a great day. You know, it's just sort of like, it was great. It was pumping, mm. you know, the opening. Yeah. So it's doing it and, and we start shooting it. And, you know, obviously Tyler writes back and Tyler's just killing it and has this amazing heat against Steph and gets a 10. You know, it was just, it was picturesque. It was beautiful. And literally at that point, I say to the camera guys, one of the camera crew came with me and I said, okay, I have to go because I'm going to go over to Oahu because we're going to send, because it's starting to pump over there. And we're mm-hmm. going to send the boys out with the trials to so fly over to Oahu. There's that. Wake up that morning. We were at, at Oahu and um, I walk up and sound the hooter. And they were like, we want you to send them out. Elo, we think it's kind of, and I, it was, it was, it, oddly, it was like an emotional moment mm. because it was like, we worked so hard to get there. We send it out. And in the judges' tower, everybody's clapping and, you know, a couple people crying. It's just sure. like, it was like, wow. I mean, Renato, I mean, he cries all the time. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm walking down the stairs, the camera crew's with me, and I get to this, the backyard of this area because we had this, we didn't have the stage on the beach. We had it in this backyard. And and I'm with uh, Jeff Fleer, who's our uh, our COO at the time. And, you know, and the camera crew's like, how you feeling? I'm like, oh, good. Look, Jesse's calling. Hey, hell is second. So I answered the phone, like right on camera. And I go, hey, Jesse, you know, just typical mm-hmm. talk when we talk to Jesse. And there was a tone she had. She says, she, she never calls me Eric. Mm. She, she, she will call me Elo or hey, you know, she has, and she goes, Eric, we have a problem. Mm. And I just stop and I go, what is it? She goes, we've had a shark attack. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, everything changed. And this is all on camera, by the way. Mm-hmm. As we're walking back to the concrete house, we get there, we're trying to understand what it is. And you know, we all know how that story ends tragically and unfortunately for that victim. Along the way, there, I get notified that I'm in a contact trace for COVID, mm-hmm. all on camera yet again. Mm-hmm. And, and then subsequently, we wind up finding out that, you know, I was exposed to somebody who had COVID and I tested positive. And those positive tests shut down pipe, you know? And oh, by the way, for those of you that can't remember, it was pumping, mm-hmm. there was some waves. And so that then spawned this whole discussion about how we were gonna finish Honolulu, the women would come over, the historic vote, Jesse led them, the women, we all know how that ends. Yeah. I say all that to say that that narrative that I just talked about is predominantly, outside of a couple of highlights, relatively unknown what happened and how it happened. Mm-hmm. And the contextualization of our surfers, more importantly, and their journey, especially our women who joined the men at Pipe, and what happened is extraordinarily profound. Mm. That is really episode one. <laughs> episode one is that. And what we see, what we see, obviously, obviously, John goes on and win. He wins his first, and it's it's very historic and great. But what happens is is that the, these off-platform shows take the stories that we know exist around back to the beginning part. You know, the the core engine, which is the CT tour, and amplify that. Mm-hmm. When that is all working together, like the Ultimate Surfer, the Box to Box show on Apple, the core engine is strong the amplification makes it two, three, four times stronger. And so that's what gets exciting when we can actually organize like we did today, you know, back to the announcement, these operating rhythms. Because what the because again, imagine that there's a season two of mm-hmm. this the show with Apple. 
all of a sudden, we certainly know what the first three episodes are going to be. It's going to be like, you got to make the cut, mm -hmm. which we didn't have this year. Yeah. So, you know, all that plays into it. And it all plays into, as you've described it, which is this pivot under your stewardship of the organization of a media company wrapped around a sports league as opposed to one that potentially in the past has sort of been, you know, separate and adjacent yeah. in a way. Well, and I think, look, there's that. that's the hard part, which mm -hmm. is because what happens is, is that you get overwhelmed with the characters of our sport. I mean, listen, our, our surfers are our stars. Mm -hmm. You know, our job is to elevate them to the highest levels. And, and I think, you know, prior administrations probably lost sight of that. Mm -hmm. they, you know, that, that their surfers are, are, are key. The, and so they need us to stabilize the platform so they can continue to grow. Not many people wake up in the morning and go, man, I really love the National Basketball Association and, and, and what they do as a league. They love either a team that they're home from or they love the athletes on those teams. The same, true is for, same thing is true for most team sports. When it comes to golf, it's another good analog, or tennis per se, you know, it's interesting because the way those companies are structured are very, very different than ours. But the fandom is driven around the people who are competing and also some of the major events. So most people, when they watch tennis or golf, predominantly, if you look at the ratings, watch four events a year. And they're the four majors. In our case, what's great is, is if we can actually harmonize this, raise the profile of our athletes, tell the stories, it all works together. But to the point about the prior administration, sometimes we would get too focused on what the league would be doing, or we'd get too focused on different disciplines of surfing, or too focused on um, you know other intentional things that that may pop up. But it's not rooted back into the core of the core of the sport. Yeah, I think it's it's not dissimilar to to letting things be themselves and having space for them to be themselves, even with kind of the three tier competitive system, as you said. It's like hey, understanding what this vertical is for the WSL and understanding what you know the engine is and who the stars are, et cetera, actually frees up things like the studios or the wave machine or big wave surfing or airborne or yep. longboard to be its own thing That's as right. opposed to having to conflate into sort of a morass of expression. In well, a way. What happens when you look at the calendar now is now we can sit back and look at, and I think big wave surfing is a, a perfect example. You know, and, and the conversations we've had with the big wave surf community, you know, thus far have been amazing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that new product plan that's going to roll out, which we'll, we can talk about later, because uh, we're not ready to, to announce it yet, actually works in a symbiotic way and doesn't interfere with where we are in terms of the 19 stops that we had. Mm -hmm. And the focus of the company can be like, oh, I see where big wave surfing can fit in. Mm -hmm. Oh, I see where the airborne tour could work. Mm -hmm. Oh, I see where longboard could work because now we can look at the entire um, uh, universe, if you will, of surfing and make sure that it's slotted properly. And to your point, give it its own oxygen in the room. So it's not fighting mm -hmm. for time against a CT. Totally. From your seat as the CEO, what are the top three things you're focused on leading up to the WSL finals? And what do you think your top three things that you'll focus on post finals will be before 22 starts? Oh, good. Um, well, I think the first thing that jumps in my head about going into the finals is just health and safety. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're in a very tricky time right now. Um, we had sort of sailed through, you know, this global pandemic. We, we pulled off, you know, an amazing event leg through Australia. Uh, we pulled off the Surf Ranch. We've been down for a while for the Olympics. 
while we were down, this Delta variant really exploded in a big way. And it does cause me a lot of concern. Mm. I mean, the, I would tell you, I spend half my day, if not three quarters of my day focused on this one thing, mm -hmm. which is health and safety of our surfers, our employees, and our fans, and how we can navigate this global pandemic. Because I think, you know, I don't wanna, we don't need to dive down sort of where we are in the pandemic views, we all have our own. The reality is we are not out of a pandemic and we are likely not out of a pandemic for at least a couple more years. Mm -hmm. and, and so because of that, you know, health and safety is paramount. Um, and, you know, we, we as an organization have said to our surfers that it, that is our top priority is to protect them. And, and, and we've earned their trust this year. We cannot, we cannot fall down on that. And so that's a big, big topic. Um, the second thing is is making sure I think from a com from a competitive point of view that we we certainly feel like the, we're coming down. Obviously, we have a shortened year. We've got two stops left. But from a competitive point of view, it's like okay, you close your eyes. He's like, are those the right five? Mm. You know, I, I mean, because again, this these these two stops inform the final five for the world championships, and and and. You know, we've had a lot of withdrawals this year. We've had a lot of injuries. Um, and so, you know, you look at that and I think, okay, you know, I look at where the rankings are, I look at who's in there, like, you feel good about that. But I think about that, you know, it's your first one, you know, going into it. It's interesting, just on that note too, you know, the generations of talent on the tour cycle over periods of time, you yep. know, it's like 10 years or five years, whatever it is, it, between, you know, a, sort of an announcement like Julian Wilson's retirement, yep. uh, maybe a few others sort yep. of in that age range. Um, it's COVID has almost pushed that into reality in a lot of ways, where 1, maybe they would have been sort of encouraged to stay around for a few years, but they were probably cycling out anyway. And, and it, it has been hard for it, everybody. It's been really tough. And I think, and then you're away from your families, the quarantine issues, sure. you know, and I think because of that, then you see this turnover using Julian as a proxy. Mm. You know, and Jordy, you know, Jordy was in the running for the final five and he's pulled himself out due to injury. Yeah. Um, but what that has done, and so I kind of go through that. And then on the second one you're talking about, I kind of then get to this place when I look at the final five. I'm like, what a transformative moment for our sport. I mean, we've got Gabe at number one. Mm -hmm. You've got Italo at two. You've got Felipe at three. Yep. Those three look pretty solid. Depending upon how they perform, they're probably going to bounce around a little bit. But then you look at the next three, and I think it's Morgan Sibilic. Mm -hmm. It's Griffin Colapento, mm -hmm. Kanoa. And all of a sudden it's like, hey, any of those two of those three get in there, you know, they can make a run. All of a sudden we've got this generational turnover that you're talking about. And we've got, you know, Kanoa Igarashi, the silver medalist that could go on a run and compete for a world title. Sure. That's what makes the, that's what makes that exciting. So I think about that. I, I think I, I look at that and I go, what is it? We're meant to learn from this, mm. in this, you know, and, and 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 everything we're doing going into the finals gets to my third basket, which is, you know, we don't know what we don't know yet, you know, and so I think a lot about that, and I have a lot of meetings, as you're very well <laughs> aware, uh, and some of it's some of it's my uh, just to be totally transparent, some of it's my neuroses about, hey, we've never done this before. This is not a normal CT event, you know. We don't it, they're they're everything is different. It's the first time we're doing it. So we're going to ask a lot of questions. So that leads me to the third one, which is that's what I spend a lot of time thinking about mm. going into it is like, you know, trying to see around every possible corner with the finals. And, and after the WSL finals, mm. after, after the, the biggest event of all time, 
Are you, are you going to get to take a breather personally? Or are you going to, are you going to focus on other things heading into 22? Um, I, I, I sadly don't think I'm going to get a breather for a while because we go right into the U.S. Open in September because we have this shortened, uh, I don't know if people really, that we've talked about it, but, you know, we have a four-stop challenger series. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a very tight challenger series. We've got the U.S. Open at Huntington, uh, France, Portugal, and Haliva. And, um, and, and that is going to be a pressure cooker, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that's, that's going to be a pressure cooker for our surfers because we are going to qualify and re, re, we'll requalify or qualify people for the CT turnaround in, in January. Yeah. Um, and, and those are not going to be easy events. I mean, going to Europe and Portugal right now is not an easy thing, especially with 96 man fields, you know, it, it's tricky. I, especially after today's announcement. Yeah, you know, I, I do think that a lot of people, even people that were rela- like you know orbiting the announcement, were not aware of the venues. Yeah, at the CT and Challenger yeah. Series level for twenty two and beyond, and I think they're like, I want in. Well, I'll, I'll share this with you, our friend. Yeah. So, so Tyler's in town. Uh, yes, yep. yes. Um, I have put my request in per per your note of. Uh, getting additional boards. So I'm storing boards at my house, right? There's always a a tax. There's always a tax. Yeah, you (laughs) you can stay. So Tyler is in town and she's just all over. It's just great to see her. um, And it's great to see all of our surfers that are coming through, you know, from Oz right now. The big plane of them came through and they're going to go to Mexico tonight, tomorrow. Mm. Um, But I had printed out for for Tyler, um, who knows all about the CT, because we talked about her, uh, and printed out for her the Challenger series. She hadn't seen it. Mm It was it was amazing to watch her like get gleeful. It's like snapper rocks, you know, is the kick. And I'm like, yeah. She goes, can I do this too? And I'm like, of course. And that actually, you know, I, I just said, yeah, it's going to be kind of great. But when I hear that, and you hear that, and our employees hear that, and our partners hear that, our surfers are excited about the Challenger Series. I mean, these are these are world-class locations. It's an amazing tour. So that that gets me excited. Uh, but this year, you know, you know, to your point about what I focus on immediately, um, I, I really, I, I, we need to get the Challenger Series off mm-hmm. um, and we need to requalify, maybe get a breather um, before <laughs> December. I don't know, we'll see. Um, but then, you know, it turns turns around. I mean, we are back up. We we're, we're going to have the WSL awards in, in January mm-hmm. in Hawaii for the first time. And you know, off the top of your head, I think it's long time. Long time. Yeah, easily, easily at least two decades because because we were on the Gold Coast for two yeah. decades for the start. That's going to be it's going to be an amazing moment. And then, boom, out of the gate we go. Out of the gate we go with the Billabong uh, Pipe Pro. So you know, and then we just go again. And then it's boom, 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 boom. It's cut line. It's boom, and, and away we go. Um, so I would say focusing post on that is precision and execution of the challenger for us to requalify people. Um, number two, I would tell you that these large shows that we have going on require a lot of time, care, and feeding. Uh, we'll pro- I'll be focusing heavily on our Apple series at that point in time because they'll get in, be in the process of marketing and dropping that. Um, so, and then I would say the third part is going to be really continuing to take this tailwind we have as an organization culturally and building from it. I mean, the company today is in its best shape it's ever been in terms of operating rhythms, in terms of stability. What this announcement does today is actually just add jet fuel to that. So we could have a 
a tremendous economic year for the organization and professional surfing in 2022 mm -hmm. um, and capitalizing on all the, you know, everything that's happened, you know, being able to run through a pandemic, you know, what's happened at the Olympics, you know, what's going to happen with the Rip Curl WSL finals going into, going into next year with the announcements that we made, that'll be where my focus moves to. All of which uh, economically allows us to uh, keep investing the uh, celebration of the world's best surfing, that's which it. is our deal. That's our deal, and that's that's the, doing that 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 empowers the media company. You totally. know, it it gives us enough runway to have podcasts. <laughs> this is self funding. Man. Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> there, are, there there are some sponsors I hear on it. Well, it's like I mean, man, king of segways. Because now it is time mm. for the lightning round presented by Michelob Ultra Pure Gold. These are ten questions. Okay, here we go. Answer as fast as you can. Okay, all right, here we go. You've heard these before. I I, I do, but I'm going to pretend like I. All have. right, all right, all right. I didn't overthink. Uh, I didn't come in like. Ball. By the way, I didn't I didn't come in like Trapel. Like, yeah, with, well, he's a, he's studies. Yeah, he studies. First question. Yes. If you could only have one board set up for the rest of your life, single fin, twin fin, thruster, quad bonzer, or finless, which would you choose? Well, interesting. You don't have what I'd actually want, which is. Uh, the twin with the trailer uh, on my MR. I've, I've got these MRs that- The 2-1. The 2-1. That's, that's all right. It's a good answer. It's a good answer. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Burrito or pizza? Burrito. Last book you read? Last book I read was actually, um, it was Oprah and Dr. Perry's book uh, about trauma and psychology, actually. Oh, it came in handy these last two years. <laughs> Best surf film ever? Best surf film ever. Um, Kissed by God, Andy Irons. One wave you never have to go back to. Because I don't like it? Sure. Porto. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, feel like that's not going to happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you only get to surf one wave for the rest of your life. Well, this is going to be a little bit of a cheesy answer, but I'll say the surf ranch because I can always, it's always going to be, it's always going to be there. So best person to share a lineup with. Best person to share a lineup with. Dave Kalama. Worst person to share a lineup with? Mm. Probably myself. <laughs> that's, that's fair. That goes back to your book. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Last one. Finish this sentence. I will next achieve a state of happiness by... Uh, what would, uh, next achieve a state of happiness by being able to get a full night's sleep. Good answer. Yeah, you like that one? That's good. Eric Logan, thank you for your leadership. Thank you for uh, guiding us and getting today's announcement out. And um, we'll have you back on for a full enchilada episode um, before the end of the year, I think. Oh, I can't wait. Full enchilada. This is the, this is that's going to be the proby one. This is like the appetizer. I see. Yeah, it's I get like it, chip, I get chips and salsa. So if that happens, last last question, would that mean I'm on equal to Kanoa? Jeez, well, but, but but if we bring you on for another chips and salsa, maybe like a guacamole episode, yes. then those two will equal at least one. At least and one. And then the full enchilada. Oh, it so puts me over the top. That's right. That's good. Because yeah. Kanoa is really bragging that he has had been on twice. And say. neither of you have gold medals, so there's that. Th there's that too. Yeah. Yet. 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 That's right. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. So that's it. That's the lineups special 2022 calendar announcement conversation with Eric Logan. I hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you're catching the world's best surfers back in action for the Corona Open Mexico presented by Quicksilver, available at worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. This episode is produced by Ryan Fawcett with art direction by Jason Penning. Thanks to both of them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. 
The lineup acknowledges those recorded and produced on the ancestral lands of the Chumash and the Quiche de Wagner Native American people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are, and we'll see you next Tuesday. <laughs>